I hear it all the time. People go, oh, but I have different values at work and at home. And I don't think that's true at all. I think we have a set of values that are important to us, like growth, learning, sustainability, whatever that is for you. In my experience, most people have about five really strong ones that guide their decisions, their behaviors, their life, their family life. And those values come with you everywhere. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with career and transition coach, Emmy Peterson. In today's episode, you will learn how to unlock what's next in your career to find flow, fulfillment, and connect with your values in your work. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Emmy Peterson. Emmy is a certified coach who has worked with people in transitions that involve career changes and or changes in their country of residence. And she has been doing this since 2013. Emmy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's great to have you on. Tell me a little bit about your career and your life journey. You know, in particular, what happened before 2013 when you started your business And then how did you get into this business that you're in? Okay, Uh, so my journey started. So I live in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, which is at the very south uh, of the big country that Australia is. But my life started over in Sweden. And uh, that's where most of my family still live. But I guess a helicopter view of my career would be that when I was about 16, I traveled overseas for the first time. And I realized how cool it was to travel. I was somewhat fluent in English at this point. And I realized that there's so much out there. There's so much to see. And I guess my curiosity and even my entrepreneurship kind of woke up from from about that time in my life. And then my career became a very long experimentation of where do I belong? And I, I know a lot of your listeners can perhaps relate to this. And we try all these different things. So I went to uni and I studied political science. I was interested in people, communities, countries. And then I realized that the job market wasn't really what I had hoped for or what I thought I wanted. So I started traveling and my first stop was the UK, got a job in finance, had a great leader, fantastic, probably one of the best bosses I've ever had, but it wasn't really for me. And long story short, I got an invite from a friend of mine who was going to travel the world, go around the world for 12 months from the UK. And then I got an invite from a good friend of mine who had been made redundant and she was going to travel around the world for 12 months from the UK and then come back. And she said, would you like to come? And I said, sure thing, let's go. And that was in 2010. And that was my first, when I first set foot in Australia as a traveler, loved it. And it's still my home and it's now 2023 as we record this. <laughs> so it's it's been a good while here. and. Um, My career journey has always 
always been about solving problems and bringing curiosity, entrepreneurship, and creativity to solve problems for businesses. And now I get to do that for people and for their own careers, which I really love. I mean, when did you realize that solving problems, repeat those, those three items again? Yeah. So, so solving problems and using curiosity and creativity to do that. So, right. yeah, I think from, from a very young age, and I guess this is kind of for a lot of us where, where it starts. So I grew up on a family farm and when you live on a farm, there's a lot of processes and planning and things like that that you follow, you know, the cycle of the year, the crops that you grow and that sort of stuff. So I got to see my dad do that. But then as in any field, including farming, things might go wrong. You know, a cow might slip out the fence or stuff happens and you have to get really creative really quickly to solve the problem. And I think as a kid, I probably watched that and watched my dad, you know, deal with stuff on the family farm because it was quite a small farm. And I just realized as a young person, I had a knack to solve problems and use systems to solve problems. And that efficiency in and that curiosity, I think, is something that was noticed from leaders very early on in, in my career, even when I worked in hospitality, retail, all that stuff you do when you're in uni. Yeah. So I got I got noticed and acknowledged for that quite early on. And it was something that just stayed with me, I think. Yeah. How do you take solving problems using curiosity and creativity and, and then become known for a particular niche? Well, you got to solve a problem that is meaningful for you and meaningful for a particular group of customers, I think would be my answer. And the more strongly you feel about the niche or the group of people whose problem you solve, and it has to be a meaningful problem for you because then you got skin in the game, you got some heart in the game. We talk a lot about skin in the game, but I think as long as your heart isn't in it in some way, you're just not really going to lean in the same way and your passion is not going to show the same way. And that said, I don't think you should become what you do. I think that's a fine line, but I do think you need to care about the problem that you solve. And look, for example, like finance, have nothing against it. It's a great industry. There's lots of roles you can do in the financial space, but I just never found, and I had a great leader who gave me opportunities to try my try a few different hats on in that field. And none of that type of problem solving was really where I was meant to stay long-term. I learned a lot. I I took a lot away from it and it was great. But I realized after a while that it's time for the next type, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing you saying is that life is um, in some ways a series of experiments of what works well for you, what resonates for you. And also, what is it where your heart's going to be in the game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So fast forward to today, who's your niche? Who's your, who's your ideal client? So I work with mid-career professionals. Most of my clients are between 35, 45, sometimes up to 50 years old. They have usually done something quite specific. I work with people across a range of industries, so it's not industry specific. Some of them are engineers, some of them are in education, some of them are in healthcare, range of things beyond that as well. But most of them have done something for 10, 20 years. They're really good at it. But for many of them, the fun, the heart and the love has gone out of the thing. 
And they sit there mid-career with financial obligations, other things that they need to take into account and feel stuck, feel like I need to keep delivering, you know, this income to my family, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like I need to restart and I don't know how to do that. So that's what I help people do. Yeah. And um, what are some of the tricks up your sleeve that really help? Well, a lot of a lot of it actually comes down to I hone in very strongly in my program on values. It's something that is a cornerstone that we sometimes lose track of. And it's something some people people will go, oh, Emmy, well, values is really fluffy. I teach my clients to use values as a checklist for job opportunities, job interviews, what industry you could focus on, what you might want to study, et cetera. And I think values, I hear it all the time. People go, oh, but I have different values at work and at home. And I don't think that's true at all. I think we have a set of values that are important to us, like growth, learning, sustainability, whatever that is for you. In my experience, most people have about five really strong ones that guide their decisions, their behaviors, their life, their family life. And those values come with you everywhere. And when you acknowledge what they are and you make decisions and career decisions aligned with them, you will stop feeling like that person who runs after other people and helps other people out and do things just for others. Like I said before, it's meaningful to solve problems for other people. That's how we can add a lot of value in the job market or if you run a business. But we need to own our own values. And I, I think that's a criteria that's really important to use when you filter the things that go on in your world. And the other trick that I have, or probably not a trick, but a tool, is to work to your strengths. You're always much better off fine-tuning and finessing the things that are already natural to you rather than trying to pivot into something that is unnatural for your skill set. As a good example, I like Excel the normal amount, you know, spreadsheets and data. I like the stories they can tell, but I am not a data analyst. It's not in my personality. It's not my style. So if I tried to get into a field like that, I'd be working against myself. Uh, There are other people who do that really well that I can collaborate with. So those are some of the key things that I use in my program and then bringing those things to life through a a realistic plan is probably one of the biggest things that I do for my clients. I mean, could you share a story or two of how this plays out? Well, so for example, a typical client. So I get clients from all walks of life who come with all sorts of backgrounds, but the typical, the typical thing, and I've got a particular woman in mind who I worked with a few years ago, she was a mother. She had a very successful career in her field. She'd taken a little bit of time off and doing part-time work. And she wanted to come back into the workforce, but she wasn't sure that she wanted to do the same thing that she used to do. So her confidence was pretty low. It's It's a big thing I see in clients who want to change is that their confidence level that they can do something else or something different than their title has been for a long time. So we worked on the strengths piece, the values piece, which really helped build her confidence. And from there, we were able to articulate a little bit more clearly what she wanted more of instead. So rather than doing this previous role, which had elements that she didn't particularly like, we were able to craft, okay, well, what would another role look like instead? And a big thing that I do with people is to take the helicopter lift up view and go, stop talking about the things you don't want. Let's reverse that. So what is that instead? I don't want a micromanager boss. Okay, cool. Well, what would that boss look like? How would they behave? 
How would they talk? How would they interact with you? Oh, they'd be inclusive, but they'd let me do my job and leave me alone and kind of come to them when I had a challenge. And it was really interesting because we only worked together for a few months. And within that time, she realized the pivot that she wanted to do was actually way further away than she'd first thought. And we made a plan and she got into a very different field in a part-time role, which allowed her to focus on her family and still, you know, kick some butt and, and kick some goals at work. And I actually got an email from her not long ago, but she's a good example of someone where we start looking at this stuff. The confidence level is low. They don't know what to do. And then we walk through the process together. And yeah, it's one of the most rewarding things. And it's why I absolutely love what I do, because you can't put a price tag on the joy that she now feels from her work and from the balance she can have with her family. Uh, but that's one of many examples. I've obviously coached people who are not stay-at-home parents or, or looking to, to focus as much on, on the family side of things. Yeah, I find, I agree with you. I find that, that um, confidence is a big issue when you're going through a transition. So like in, in our audience, someone goes from a high achieving professional position where they're, they're needed all the time, they want it all the time. They have a full calendar, overflowing inbox. Often they have a team of, of people around them, some of whom may report to them. And then they go out on their own and they start off with an empty calendar, empty inbox, right? No social structure, no structure. They're spending a lot of time alone. And then they have to get up and sell something they've never had to sell before, namely themselves. And even if they have... 20, 30, even 40 years of experience delivering high quality work in their field to clients and to their employer when they're in this new structure and they've never delivered in this particular framework, namely their own business, their confidence level is often really low. And so what I see is their sales pitches are subpar or poor and their pricing is often way too low. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's interesting you say with pricing, because I think I see that in clients too, where they come into a different field. I think a lot of people are used to the fact that you can't always move sideways. You know, if you had a certain salary level in a particular field and you want to move to something else, you may need to take a little dip before you can move up again. But it's shocking to me how people still underprice themselves in that process because you have a lot of transferable value. And I do think whether you are self-employed or going for certain roles, it's really important to do your research and have a figure in mind of what you should be charging, whether it's a salary or uh, it's a, a coaching program or whatever type of consulting people deliver. Because value is so important. And, and early on in my career, I used to discount and I used to do this, that, and the other. And I just don't anymore because you know pretty quickly if someone is the right fit for your business and the value that your programs deliver for, for that person. And if people are not ready to pay that, whether that's an employer or a client, that's fine. That's fine. And I think it comes back to that really important point that I worked with, with the client that I mentioned and other people, which is what is it that you really want? You know, who do you really want to work with or for? And quite often people don't know that. They have no idea what kind of boss they'd like or what kind of client. People will have ideas, I think, of their ideal target audience and this and that. But like you, you say, David, I think it's important to really get curious, really know them, like really dive into them and get curious. And that's why, I mean, 
I didn't start coaching mid-career professionals. I landed there because I was like, they have the maturity, they have the awareness, they have the experience that I would like to coach and support. Yeah. Emmy, have you seen examples of people that do make major transitions and are able to increase their compensation at the same time? I have seen some people, yes, especially people who've transferred internally within the same business. So I remember coaching someone just the other year and they were really worried about rebranding, if you will, within their own business because they were known in a particular department and this new thing was starting up and they actually wanted to get, and it was quite a different field from their background. And I said, well, who do we need to, who do we need to convince that you're a good fit for to head up that thing? And they were like, oh, well, these are the key stakeholders and da, 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 and this will probably be the process, but I don't know. So we focused in that particular round of building the confidence, setting the goals, using the tools that I mentioned earlier to position them as the most favorable candidate. And they did all the work themselves. No one internally tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, you should apply for this thing. So they did extremely well through a huge change in that business by putting their hand up, being really clear on what they wanted, pitching themselves really, really well, and acknowledging that the bits that they didn't know were things that they already had started learning about and had a plan to address. So it became a no-brainer for the business, and they actually moved pretty much across in a very similar salary bracket and then moved up very quickly. So that's one example that that can happen, but certainly as well, like even if you move into another industry or another role, uh, like you said, David, it's all around knowing your numbers, knowing what you're worth and standing up for it. There, there's this assumption that you have to take a salary drop. It's not always true, but also remembering that your salary or your income can come from several different streams. And I often talk to people in transition. It is actually great to have a number of fishing rods out where your income from your current role is one of them. So there are other ways as well to, to look at your, your worth and your income and your, your revenue. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by your income coming from several streams? Well, funnily enough, I seem to attract a lot of clients as well, who many of them have a particular field that's their main income, you know, a traditional job or a traditional, you know, corporate role of some kind. But many of them also have these other things that they're really passionate about, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of people don't see it as a possibility that you can actually earn money from several different ways. Aside from investing, obviously, I'm, a, I'm an avid investor myself. I think it's very important to invest your money and make your money work for you, which is obviously a totally separate podcast episode, but one that a lot of people early on in their career don't focus on because they want to spend all their money on traveling and fun stuff. So, you know, so just a note there, that's definitely one of the many fishing rods I think people should have. Uh, and if you don't already have it, you can start building it at any point. But other than that, you know, there are so many other things that, so for example, for a long time, I worked, my main job was in sales and marketing. And I stumbled on this thing called life coaching because I was looking for a career coach for myself because I was stuck in my own career. And then I stumbled on this school that taught coaching and I started, um, you know, doing my accreditation mostly to help myself at that point. And then pretty quickly, I realized, well, I can actually do this also. So for many, many years, I worked in marketing and sales, which I enjoyed. And coaching was kind of my side thing, you know, in evenings and weekends and stuff like that. And only recently have I transitioned into, into full-time coaching. But so for, I'm an excellent example of where you can either 
have several income streams. I still do some consulting for clients who are who know me as a marketer who need some help with that kind of stuff. So, you know, another great one, depending what it is that you do or what you're good at, online courses, online materials that you can sell and that can work as a passive income for you, regardless of what your, what's your, what your skill set is. So there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of things that you can do if you start looking for it. And I know at 2023, you know, we've got, there's a lot of different financial forces going around in the world at the moment. Some people are really worried about money. And I think now is an excellent time to look at all those, those channels that you could explore. Right. Because if um, a particular channel is drying up, it usually means that there's some new ones that are opening. The money doesn't disappear. It just gets reshuffled. 100%. 100%. And I think that comes back to that classic coaching analogy about, like, you know, the, the scarcity mindset versus the growth mindset. The growth mindset person will go look for the next opportunity or to add another fishing rod to get through this next little bit of cash flow or whatever you might be looking at, whether it's in your life or in your business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've had so many different kinds of experiences already in your life, mm. you know, geographic and other kinds of experiences. What's your experience been in community, either as a participant or as a leader? Well, community has has always been huge. I talked before about growing up on a small farm back in Sweden and community is something like my dad, both my parents, but especially my dad was an avid community grower and he, you know, taught folk dancing and all this different stuff and just volunteered his time in so many different boards and capacities. So community has been instilled in me from, again, from a very young age. And uh, today, I mean, really, I think where the reason my business is where it is today is because of business and coaching networking. It's gone through many iterations, many chapters. I think we all have lots of career chapters in our life that have different themes and different learnings and different challenges. But community has been a key part of the chapter for me since sort of 2010, 2013 that I talked about when I arrived in Australia to help, you know, help me grow and learn, refer business. So both in a very tangible business way, but also sharing experiences, supporting each other, that kind of stuff. And and I'm an, a natural networker in, in that regard as well. And in other terms, being an expat, being really far away from my kind of home culture, I guess, community as in uh, I'm part of a big group called Svea, which is a global Swedish network for women living uh, away from their country. And it's been huge for me to meet friends, to connect business opportunities, uh, podcast interviews, all sorts of things like that. And it, I think in the end of the day, community, you know, what I try to combat in my program and in my podcast, which I, I was so exciting to have you come and chat to me over, over on my podcast as well, but community is a thing that combats loneliness. You know, when we feel lonely, when we sit there and like, I have, I'm the only one with this problem or I feel stuck or, I, you know, I feel like crap, whatever it is. Community is often the thing that overcomes that when we realize that we're not alone and community, to go back to problem solving, community can solve an awful lot of problems together. So I'm an absolute advocate for that. In terms of a leadership, I guess, role, I do also volunteer my time for various community organizations as well to help uh, lead and shape their programs. Well, Emmy, you certainly have uh, experienced quite a lot and capitalized on it in a positive way, both as you've built your business and also to create these um, exciting opportunities for your clients. Mm. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, where would be the best place for them to go? 
learn more about you, access any resources you have or get in touch with you? And where can they get your podcast? Yeah, my podcast as well. The best place to start is my website, which is thebridgecoaching.com.au because I am in Australia. So thebridgecoaching.com.au. And you can book a call with me. You can suss out my podcast, my resources, and all my social media is linked on there as well. So love to chat to anyone who where the chat today has resonated with them and they want to find out more. Sounds great. Emmy, thank you for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest has been career and transition coach, Emmy Peterson. Thank you, Emmy, for joining us. Thank you, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Emmy Peterson, we learned how to unlock what's next in your career to find flow, fulfillment, and connect with your values in your work. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.